0: It is time for us to begin our midday program with our roundtable discussion as we get things kicked off here on a Thursday. Scott Foster here with you along with Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan as we preview some of the things coming up over the next few hours. Uh, Susan is in Bob and Mai's old neck of the wood. She's up in Norfolk right now. Let's check in with her.
1: Well, thanks so much to Mid Norfolk today. District 4 FFA is hosting an event for FFA members in their district. Uh, with the fact of not having a state FFA convention, they've done some leadership events with a variety of different speakers. Well, here's what you can hear today on the midday from the farm team. Chabella's going to kick it all off at 1219 as Congressman Bacon was out at the Gudmundson Lab. And she's going to talk more about his visit to the western part of the state then Alex will be in at 1245 as Nazda had a convention, and she gives us a recap of what happened there. And we continue our Women and Ag series. Chibella will be talking about a woman from the western part of the state. That's a midday on this Thursday from the farm team.
0: All right, appreciate it, Susan. Thank you very much. Uh, we turn it over to Jason. It's a tradition unlike any other. That's what they say.
2: Yeah, uh, They're holding the thing as a master's is underway. Of course, they weren't able to hold this a year ago at this time. They had it in November, then turning around and having it now. Uh, Some decent scores so far. A handful of guys at three under. Adeki Matsuama, he is the uh, leader at this point. I also will tell you about the uh, kind of an interesting thing here with Husker Football. They're going to open up one of their practices to the public. 4,000 folks can go to this. It's coming up on April 17th. We'll give you the details on this, but not, not how often have they done this
0: in no, the past. So of
2: course, the spring game is still coming up, but on the 17th, 4,000 fans can get in there and watch the Huskers practice.
0: Maybe they'll have tryouts for a running back. Maybe. <laughs> Since uh, they seem to be. They could use a, a couple short, there. Yeah.
2: Uh, the guy they were really counting on from USC is already hurt, so he will not be available until the fall, hopefully. That was kind of the uh, knock on him mm-hmm. coming out of USC. So we'll touch on all of that and uh also a familiar name to high school basketball fans uh, at least across central nebraska is back Trent Benjamin who yeah. had quite the run as the head coach of the Holdridge girls uh he is going to be an administrator in the Broken Bow school system and he is going to be an assistant coach for the Broken Bow Indians
0: and the rich get richer there. they do
2: and then uh talked a little bit last night with uh Broken Bow head coach Kelly Cooksley, and as you might expect, Kelly's pretty excited about that. Uh-huh. Yeah, Uh-huh. Very excited about that, because um, Trent is one of the best guys around in teaching man-to-man defense.
0: He had some amazing did. Holdridge teams. What a run. Ugh.
2: They wow. weren't all that great before he was there, and then it wasn't too long after that when things slipped a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay, very interesting. I saw that too. I thought that was pretty cool. Thank you. I knew he wouldn't stay out forever. No, hour. he couldn't. He couldn't. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jason. Let's turn it over to Bob. Looks like stocks are narrowly up a little bit right now.
3: Just a little bit, uh, helped by some technology stocks that have benefited from steady bond yields. Also, uh, uh, the Federal Reserve is getting ready to. Uh, do something. Investors will get more color on the uh, Fed's thinking later today when Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell will speak in front of the International Monetary Fund starting at 12 p.m. Eastern time. So that should be watched.
0: All right. Very good. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Jason. Let's turn it over to Clay for more.
4: Clay Pan on the Rural Radio Network as we talk to Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics, for a midday check here of the trade. And Mike, quite some impressive moves coming here in the grain complex just 24 hours away from the WASD report. We could be talking a much different story then, but a lot of bullish action in the front month of the corn contracts, bull spreading as we see 3.5% gains now in that May contract, almost 3 in the July. What is kind of spurring this this uh, this rally today.
5: Well, I think a couple things. I think first and foremost, Clay, the wheat is allowing the corn to rally, and I think this goes back to the EU, the Baltic, and the Canadian weather. Uh, When wheat weather specifically, very cold in Europe and the Baltic states, we don't know how much if there's going to be any damage. Canadian prairies and North Dakota still showing up very much on the drought monitor, especially, obviously, North Dakota. I think the second thing goes back to the Brazilian corn weather. The, The second crop corn roughly seventy percent of their total crop it looks like we're headed back to a la nina as far as hot dry conditions the next fourteen days on a very late planted crop this is very uh... damaging potentially for their production And so it really opens the door that we will not know the Brazilian production number for a couple months now. So these two things kind of center around the idea that we had over 2 million metric tons of actual physical corn exports leave the U.S. this past week in the weekly export sales. So what looked to be a subpar weekly export sales report overall, and it was, if not a bit negative for the soy complex, uh, we had that corn export shipment number that really kind of overshadowed that. So ethanol, corn, spring wheat leading the gains here today.
4: Was the report out tomorrow. What is your thoughts? Sub-119, I mean, do we see sub-100 million soybean bushels?
5: I don't think we'll get there. I I just don't think the USDA will do that. I don't think they traditionally will do that. Statistically speaking, I think they'll maneuver the numbers around so that the demand goes down with the supplies. If they would happen to go below 100 million bushels, I think that would overshadow almost anything else that would come out in those numbers because that would just mean that we have a zero, essentially a zero carryover between now and August because that's just too razor tight. I mean, we're already at a 2% stocks to use ratio. If we go down to a 1% stocks to use ratio, that's statistically zero. So I think this is probably not going to happen, but obviously if it would, I think it would mean a lot more than any other number.
4: Over, over in the livestock trade, we're seeing cat, live cattle continue to gain as it looks like cash continues to want to be bullish, but it looks like are we seeing a put more put on of that feeder cattle uh, corn spread?
5: yeah i think that's exactly right and this is something that we really have to watch out for and that's going to be a continuation the next couple three months as we make the transition to fewer supply of fat cattle and fewer supply of feeder cattle but the corn crop is not made yet so that's a key i think the other thing goes back to weekly export sales we didn't get much from the pork side of the equation, uh, down 45% from last week, 22% from the four-week average. Beef export sales also down 14% from the four-week average. So no, no demand there, I should say, to maybe feed the bull. We've
4: got about 10 seconds here, Mike. Talking on those pork exports, is this just the ebb and flow where China likes to front-load their purchases and then take delivery for a couple weeks?
5: I don't know if it's that, Clay. I think they're just in a a lull in general right now, and it makes sense seasonally that they would be because you should be getting some spring numbers that are going up, both in terms of grains, oilseeds, and hogs. I think they're probably going to come back pretty strong once they know what's going on in Brazil, once they know what's going on in the European hog market as well. So maybe March is kind of a giving way to an April weaker time period for their demand, but then they come back in May.
4: That is Mike Zuzulo, Global Commodity Analytics. Learn more at globalcomresearch.com. That's globalcomresearch.com. Mark a minute on the rural radio network. Mike Zuzolo explaining that it could be the wheat complex moving higher that has allowed corn to make such a run here today. May over three and a half percent higher now at 5805 and a half up 20. December new crop 493 and a quarter up seven and three quarters. May soybeans 1414 14, even up five and a quarter. November new crop 1272 and a half up one and three quarters. May Chicago wheat 630 even up 13 and three quarters. July 6305 and a half up 14 and a half. May Kansas City 577 and a half up 14 and a quarter. July five eighty. Five and a quarter, up 15 and a quarter. April live cattle $1.2435, up $1.20. June $1.2537, up a dime. April feeders $1.4715, down 47. May $1.5187, down 80. April lean hogs $1.327, up 40, while June lean hogs trade $1.842, up 52. They have not crossed the $1.9 threshold yet today. Catch Mike Zizlow's Midday Market Commentary as a podcast, ruralradionetwork.com.
0: We're going to check in on weather next, brought to you by Holdbridge Irrigation. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. We've got Paul Perkins in here in studio and on a hot mic to uh, talk about about things here. And you and I are just talking about how... We had quite a bit of moisture roll through the area, but not a lot of rain, at least in central Nebraska, associated yeah,
6: with Yeah, it was very spotty the other night. A few areas got about a half an inch of rain, but it was very, very spotty. And then a few other locations picking up about a tenth to a quarter of an inch yesterday with that system moving through. But the rain very persistent across eastern Nebraska right now.
0: Yeah, it, it really organized really well. And, you know, I think that was the thing we saw towards the end of last year that it had, it struggled to organize most of the time, and I wonder if we'll be seeing more of that.
6: Yeah, well, the prospects are for a drier than normal summer and above normal temperatures, so uh, uh, that 90-day forecast or the summer forecast remains to be seen, but uh, that could be a possibility. But, yeah, right now we have mostly sunny skies pretty much all across west and central Nebraska and west and, can- west and central Kansas, but that sunshine line, very distinct. Basically, along and west of a line from O'Neill to Grand Island and Hebron, that's where you're seeing sunshine. And then from about Smith Center to Concordia, uh, areas east of that or west of that, seeing some sunshine. But once again, that rain persistent. Currently, from about the western edge of it, from Norfolk to Columbus, down to about the Seward area to Beatrice and Marysville, and points to the east, seeing a lot of rain. It's just been training over the same area as this area of low pressure does move to the north.
0: It's amazing to see it because it really is a stark change, isn't
6: yes. it? Yeah, and that rain continuing to slowly move to the south, but in time that will be gradually moving up towards the east. Most of our temperatures where we are seeing the sunshine in the low to mid-50s, we are seeing some temperatures in the mid to upper 50s from southwest Nebraska into the North Platte area, on over to Brokenville and Lexington into northwest Kansas. Also, some low 60s in the northeast part of Colorado and some low and mid 50s for the most part as you head into the Nebraska Panhandle. In those rain areas of eastern Nebraska and northeast Kansas, the temperatures currently in the mid to upper 40s. Low pressure tracking north into Minnesota will continue to influence our weather today. Rain across the east. Otherwise, we're seeing lots of sunshine, but everybody getting in on some northerly winds gusting as high as 35 to 40. Sunshine over the central and west will warm the highs to slightly above average on into the 60s cloud cover increasing for tomorrow with another cold front moving through. Northwest winds once again going to be strong and gust into the 30s. Scattered rain is possible for tomorrow afternoon through tomorrow night. Highs tomorrow will be slightly cooler and at seasonal levels. The weekend will be dry with temperatures warming into the 60s as a weak ridge of high pressure does move overhead. Probably most likely some lighter winds. A cold front by Sunday night will cool our temperatures to slightly below average for early next week. Multiple disturbances next week leading to Some small chances of rain could be mixed with some flakes of snow Monday night into Wednesday. Long term forecast indicates below normal temperatures will continue in Nebraska and Kansas Tuesday through April 21st, especially in the middle part of next week. Mostly below normal precipitation is predicted for Tuesday through the 21st for Nebraska and Kansas. Soil temperatures four inches down at seven this morning, as low as the upper 30s in west central and western Nebraska. Most of the soil temperatures in the low to mid 40s from southeast Nebraska into eastern Kansas soil temperatures on into the upper 40s. In the latest regional drought monitor, Nebraska continues to be 39% drought free. Most areas west of a line from O'Neill to Broken Bow, Kearney and Franklin west of that line abnormally dry to a moderate drought. Severe drought remains in the southwest or if you're along and south of a line from about Perkins County to Frontier County. No change in Kansas either with 78% of the state drought-free. Most of western Kansas that's along and west of a line from Norton to Gove and Hugenton continue to be abnormally dry to a moderate drought. Still some small pockets of severe drought in the southwest corner and from St. Francis to Atwood in the northwest corner. Key weather factors affecting the markets include deepening drought in the northern plains and mainly dry weather predicted in Brazil. The northern plains drought is deepening with stage three extreme drought now, now covering most of North Dakota on into nearby northwest and north-central South Dakota, the northern plains area, continues to stay out of the main track of weather systems. Spring wheat and pastures have lower prospects now for production. Moderate rain that's expected for South Dakota and eastern North Dakota, improving the soil moisture ahead of row crop planting. Central Brazil's forecast the next 10 days indicates dry weather with above to much above-normal temperatures. The hotter and drier weather will stress the growing and developing second-crop corn.
0: Boy, we're talking a lot about drought, aren't we?
6: Yes, uh, uh, some dry weather in some, some areas, uh, especially as on into the northern areas of the northern plains just to the south you know the dakotas into nebraska not doing too bad but quite uh, bad. very dry in west and central north dakota right now
0: it'll be interesting to see you mentioned 39 percent of uh, the state is uh is drought free and one of that tipping point i mean it's got to be pretty close to going the other direction i would
6: think yes uh most of nebraska of course only about stage one or two drought and okay. uh, it's the worst over the southwest at stage okay. uh, three well, that's actually, stage two, about stage zero to one in much of uh, central, west central Nebraska onto the panhandle. Okay.
0: All right. Very good. Well, we'll keep an eye on all that. I appreciate it, Paul. <laughs> uh, where, where do you go to check in on your weather, sir?
6: Weather page, krvn.com.
1: University of Nebraska-Lincoln-Goodmanson-Sand Hills Laboratory welcomed Congressman Don Bacon of Nebraska's 2nd District to its site on Wednesday. The ranch is north of Whitman and includes research on cattle, range, soil, and more. Bacon toured the cattle and precision feeding system. He says he's on the Agriculture Committee and likes to get out of his district and meet producers in other areas.
7: The focus of this trip is largely been on uh, beef, and tomorrow we'll do a little bit of pork. It's good to hear firsthand from, you know, uh, producers and hear what their challenges are. And, and I've done this is like my sixth trip uh, in, in throughout Nebraska. And I can't, you know, a lot of it, I keep learning more, but it's reinforcing what I've learned, which is good. It feels good to be in touch with what the needs are and what, you know, various parts of the industry say they need
1: UNL was created as a land-grant university in 1869 with the passage of the Morrill Act in 1862. The university has an extension office in almost every one of Nebraska's 93 counties and several agricultural laboratories across the state, including the Goodmanson Sandhills Laboratory. Bacon says he was impressed by how the extension and producers worked together.
7: you got these uh, folks who are part of the university, living in the community, and they're sharing the data with ranchers. Just how integrated the university is throughout the community is uh, impressive. You know, I just sort of pictured they are in the university and doing research or sharing research. No, it's a lot more than that, a lot more in depth. So really I've just been learning more. Like, for example, I didn't know it takes about 10 acres to, for two, for a, a cow, calf to live off of. So that explains to me now why how big, why these ranches are so big when you get out there, because it does take a lot of real estate. And also just how important preserving the grass. Is there is, I mean, we tend to focus on the cattle. These ranchers focus on the grass. I found that fascinating.
1: Bacon says on his trips across the state, he's heard from many producers and their concerns, which includes lack of a good labor base and
7: the lack of additional capacity and processing. If the, you know, the beef packers are running at 95, 98% capacity, one goes down, the price of the cattle goes down, but the price of beef coming out of it goes up, and we got we to build some more capacity into the processing. Uh, so I've heard that repeatedly. Trade is very important. Uh, we, we can feed much of the world out of Nebraska here with our beef and other industries, agriculture industries, and, and nobody can beat us when it comes to price. So we got, we got to keep working, opening up doors.
1: Another issue on many ranchers' and farmers' minds is the executive order 30 by 30, which President Biden signed in January. The Nebraska Farm Bureau recently sent a letter to the Biden administration on a need for more details. Bacon agrees with needing more information, and he adds the order just doesn't seem practical.
7: Uh, Frankly, the devil's in the details, and it really seems not practical to not use 3% of your land, 3% of your coastline, and uh, I think we can do good conservation, without putting 3% uh, to the side and never using it, right? I mean, there's, uh, you see what the ranchers are doing here. I mean, I, w- I was on a ranch yesterday. The most any field is used for, or pasture is used for cattle is 15 days. So they really have this down to a science. And uh, so I think that would, if you take 3% out of use, like could probably a challenge for these these ranchers. And, yeah, you know, only about 1% is federally owned in Nebraska. So there's going to be a lot of land taken, it's very impractical. I think it'll hurt Nebraska, uh, but we don't have a lot of details.
1: Bacon toured the Goodmanson Sandhills Laboratory on Wednesday morning, and then he was in Tryon in the afternoon, meeting with Farm Bureau members. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabela Guzman.
5: With.
0: time for us to check in on sports see what's happening there you know Jason we were we were talking before that there's something about the masters that you know I, I don't watch a lot of sport or a lot of golf rest of the year but there's something about this one
2: i would agree with you it's always special and the shortest championship reign in masters history ended today when dustin johnson teed off and a repeat of his record shattering 20 under win is highly unlikely uh, the course was much softer last November, right? When they had it this year, it's back at its usual time, and uh, conditions are a little different. Uh, right now, the, uh, we have a group of uh, golfers around three under so Mm -hmm. no one's really torn it up so far but we'll see what happens this afternoon
0: they said they tried to water it down a little bit to get the greens a little bit slower but they couldn't it's just they're just just fast it's like playing wild horse good
2: luck good luck guys well spring practice continued yesterday for the huskers this offseason the blackshirts were bolstered by the fact that several players decided to come back and take advantage of the ncaa's decision that allows players to have another season of eligibility Defensive backs Helda Smuke and Deontay Williams decided to return, and Smuke says they have some unfinished business.
7: And I'm glad we both came, decided to come back to elevate our game to the next level. But, you know, before we even go to that next level, we want to maximize our ability on the field and the college level. So when we came back, it was about our potential and
2: on the team and as a player individually. Also, some breaking news today regarding Nebraska football. The university has announced that they will have an open practice on Saturday, April 17th. It will be free, but limited to 4,000 individuals. Fans must reserve their mobile ticket for the open practice. Tickets will first become available for that tomorrow at 6. And for more information on all that, you can find that at krvn.com. Former Holdridge head girls basketball coach Trent Benjamin is getting back into the game. He will be an assistant coach with the Broken Bow Girls program. As a head coach at Holdridge, Benjamin led his alma mater to the Class B State Tournament nine straight times from 2005 to 2013. He will be the new K-12 Director of Teaching and Learning in the Broken Bow School System. And fans at Bush Stadium, Camden Yards, City Field, and several other parks will get to see their teams play in person today for the first time since 2019. Wow. Long, long wait. That is
0: hard to believe. They'll be excited to see
2: and it's it's been good to watch some of the Royals games, any of the games on TV, actually, and actually see some live bodies there.
0: You know, it's interesting, though, I, I looked at some tickets at Coors Field for some games upcoming, and uh, they're they're a little more expensive um, than they were at the past. A little
2: steep for a couple of reasons. One, not as many people are being right. allowed in, and two, they're having to try to recoup last
0: year's big losses. And you always pay at some point. That's true. That's true. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it.
8: Deb Fischer is critical of President Joe Biden's $2.3 trillion infrastructure plan. She says the amount in total for roads, bridges, airports, and ports is less than what should be spent on electric cars in the bill. You know, this is not an infrastructure bill in the traditional sense
1: where we're looking at, at the needs across this country when it comes to roads and bridges, When it comes to airports, when it comes to broadband deployment, when it comes to uh, dredging rivers so you can have better commerce, uh, traveling, for example, on the Missouri River, our
8: ag producers uh, are dependent upon that. President Biden turned fiery in a speech on Wednesday saying the United States must build, invest, and research for the future, and that failure to do so would amount to giving up on leading the world he says the administration will be open to good ideas and good faith negotiations but he added we will not be open to doing nothing a growing number of younger people are being hospitalized with the coronavirus in nebraska as more contagious variants of the virus spread in the state nebraska health officials said the average age of hospital patients declined to 51 in march from 61 in january officials said the age is also shifting lower because a significant number of older people have been vaccinated the number of people hospitalized is also growing and it hit 161 on wednesday as the state reported more cases of the virus the seven-day rolling average of daily new cases in nebraska nearly doubled over the past two weeks to 491.29 new cases per day on tuesday Governor Peter Ricketts is objecting to an effort to designate parts of south-central and southwestern Nebraska as a federally recognized national heritage area to try to boost tourism. Ricketts said he was concerned that the designation required approval from Congress and the National Park Service. He says the designations come with unquantifiable and unknowable risks and the requirements to maintain the designation could change without input from states. Ricketts says the effort was led by the Willa Cather Foundation as a way to promote tourism and local development. He said state and local officials should maintain control as they look for ways to promote Nebraska's heritage and tourism. A driver in a motor vehicle pursuit eluded Lincoln County law enforcement. The North Platte Police Department says it started around 3.24 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon as an officer observed a vehicle with no license plates or in-transit tags. As the vehicle passed the officer, the suspect vehicle began driving recklessly in what was believed to be an attempt to avoid law enforcement. Officers caught up to the vehicle and attempted a traffic stop, but the vehicle failed to stop. A pursuit was initiated at the time. The pursuit eventually went eastbound on Highway 30 and was terminated near the North Platte Regional Airport. The car was later found abandoned along a roadway near Maxwell, and the incident remains under investigation. Lincoln County Sheriff's Office and Nebraska State Patrol assisted with the incident. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons.
9: recapping the 2021 Nebraska State Dairy Convention. I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network, and today we're joined on the phone by Chris Bosquet. He is the Executive Director of the Nebraska State Dairy Association. Chris, thanks so much for hopping on with us today.
10: Hey, thank you very much for having me.
9: So first of all, Chris, let's just recap convention in general. Tell us about some of the things you guys had going on.
10: Well, to be honest with you, we were kind of concerned uh, from the get-go what our attendance would be like, and we were pleasantly surprised with uh, with the attendance at the expo itself. Uh, we had over 250 people. We had 37 vendors. And for a Nebraska dairy convention, it was probably the most well-attended uh, convention we've ever had. And so uh, I think that just goes to show that the farmers were hungry to learn and, and hungry to get out and mix and mingle with their fellow farmers. Uh, but we had a couple really good sessions throughout the day. The first session was a transition panel. Which, uh, Bill Teal, Luke Teal, and Scott Teal sat on to give a farmer's perspective and, uh, the, the old generation passing down to the younger generation viewpoint, as well as Rob Schaefer, uh, who is a member of the Board of Regents at the University of Nebraska, as well as a, as a transition lawyer from Beatrice, Nebraska. Uh, so Rob gave us a really good uh, perspective on just what farmers have to realize and think about when they're going through a transition. I think that was such an important topic to discuss because there are a lot of, a lot of dairy farmers out there that are trying to navigate that situation. And that really leads off to what we're going to be doing later this year with our transition panels, or our, our, excuse me, our transition uh, extension education seminars with Kim Clark, uh, the dairy extension agent here in Nebraska. So really kind of set it, set the stage for those future events. And we're, we're really excited to, to get the conversation move, moving forward for these farmers. Uh, later in the day, in the afternoon, we had our, our, uh, Paul Kononoff, who is the editor in chief of the Journal of Dairy Science, uh, and he's also the, the lead research uh, individual at the University of Nebraska for dairy ruminant nutrition. Paul spoke on forage quality for dairy cattle and, and how to improve that forage quality and, and some of the research that he's working on. And the farmers really, really enjoyed that and, and uh, think it's kind of fascinating. You know, he's working on palatability and, and just the, the right perfect concoction on what farmers are going to be feeding their, their cattle in the future to get the most out of them. So great. That was also another great session. So we also had our Nebraska Dairy Convention or our Nebraska, excuse me, I'll start that over. We also had our Nebraska annual, Nebraska State Dairy Association annual meeting where we discussed the happenings from last year, how our association navigated COVID-19. Uh, in the supply and demand issues that our our dairy industry faced as well as how we advocated for our farmers in these uh, coronavirus food assistance programs as well as other government programs like PPP, EIDL and and how we made our voice heard to our congressional delegation and even our state legislators uh, when we discussed the livestock producer grants that the governor rolled out this year. So uh, it, was a, it was a great event. It was a good opportunity to get in front of our farmers and let them know the, the happenings of the NSDA.
9: From talking with all of these producers throughout the past year, what obviously they faced challenges with the pandemic, but what specific challenges were these producers dealing with this past year?
10: Well, when we had the, the initial COVID-19 supply and demand issues, the farmers were asked to dispose of their milk. And obviously, that is never a good situation because you depend on that shipment of milk to the market. Well, when the farmers were asked to basically stop shipping milk, and, and it wasn't everybody, but it was a few, they had to figure out what exactly they were going to do with that product. And so uh, co-ops implemented quota systems, and uh, farmers had to navigate that uh, accordingly. Well, it was really impressive to see the ingenuity of the dairy farmer in today's society, I mean, they were, they also had an issue where they didn't have feed, uh, specifically distiller's grains from the ethanol industry because there was a fuel, the, uh, there wasn't a fuel demand. So distiller's grains weren't being pumped out as they once were. So their, their rations for their cattle had to be changed. And what some farmers actually did is they took their milk and some of their, their grains and they soaked their milk uh in, in their grains together, and then fed that to their livestock and as a replacement for some protein. Um, you know, obviously, the supply and demand issue that we had, you know there were people that were mass purchasing milk products and freezing them at home, and so there wasn't any milk on the shelves. And so us here at the Nebraska State Dairy Association worked directly with the with the grocers association here in the state. To remove any purchasing restrictions, uh, that, that grocers were placing on milk products uh, across the state. So as, as we experienced a lot of the bulk demand dropping off, the retail side picked up and we couldn't keep milk on the shelves, uh, and soon enough because it was by the time we'd haul a truck there and unload it and get the milk on the shelves, people were match, mass purchasing and, and the product was gone. So it was really an interesting situation to navigate and kind of a lot of curve balls got thrown our way.
9: It seems like such a one eighty flip that they experienced in such a short amount of time. That's it's weird.
10: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenging situation that we had to navigate. And luckily our farmers are, they're farmers. I mean, they're, they're resourceful. So really proud of how they navigated it. And, and, uh, made it through the COVID-19 pandemic.
9: Well, Chris, I think that's a good place to end part one of this conversation. When we continue part two, we'll be talking about the other side of the Nebraska State Dairy Convention, which was the awards and honors that were given out. Um, until then, we've been joined by Chris Bosque. He is the executive director of the Nebraska State Dairy Association. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska's Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
3: Time for our midday business report. Here's Bob Brogan. With the business report for Thursday, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks have been moderately higher in midday trading on Wall Street, helped again by large technology stocks that have benefited from steady bond yields. The yield on the 10 year U.S. Treasury note held at 1.65%. It had been as high as 1.75% on Monday. Technology companies had been slipping over the last few months as yields jumped and made the shares look pricey. The sector has also seen choppy trading as investors shift more money into companies that stand to benefit from the economic recovery. The number of Americans applying for unemployment benefits rose last week to 744,000, signaling that many employers are still cutting jobs. Even as more people are vaccinated against COVID-19, consumers gained confidence and the government distributes aid throughout the economy. The Labor Department saying today that applications increased by 16,000 from 728,000 a week earlier. Jobless claims have declined sharply since the virus slammed into the economy in March of last year, but they remain high by historical standards. Mortgage rates fell this week for the first time in more than two months as buyers continue to be stifled by high prices and limited supply. Mortgage buyer Freddie Mac says the benchmark 30-year loan rate dipped to 3.13% from 3.18% last week. At this time last year, it was 3.33%. A patchwork of advice is emerging from governments across Europe and farther afield a day after the European Union's drug regulators said that there was a possible link between the AstraZeneca vaccine and a rare clotting disorder. Regulators in the U.K. and the E.U. both stress that the benefits of receiving the vaccine continue to outweigh the risks for most people. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan.
1: Welcome to another edition of our Women in Ag series, brought to you by Tyson and NTCA. We're chatting with Brittany Schmaltz, who, with her husband Eric, own and operate Schmaltz Cattle Company in Baird. Brittany, you and your husband are first-generation ranchers. Tell us more how you got into the cattle business. So,
11: it started off, he owned a semi, so he'd haul feed, um, or for other people, did everything he could. It wasn't until we bought our house in Baird, and we bought our house because it had a big driveway and for his semi and um, a place for our horses. And from there, it led us to buy a small feedlot nearby. Um, And then we started, it was a place for us to have other people's cows, because we couldn't afford our own at the time. And so we'd take care of other people's cows, or we'd winter other people's cows, and then gradually... Um, working and working, we were able to save enough and buy our own herd and um, expand our feedlot, my husband and my brother-in-law. So it's just us running this operation now
1: um, full-time for sure. That's quite a learning curve you've both tackled. What was one area where you really enjoyed learning more about the cattle business?
8: My
11: favorite part is just the everyday watching the changes, there's different seasons. We don't do any farming, so we're all cattle. So the summertime, we have a little bit of time off. Every day, you learn something new, always. From the process of a baby calf until what happens and where it goes throughout its life, and what it takes to get from a newborn to whenever they go to slaughter. Uh, There's little bits of information that you have to take and um, make this make this animal become what it becomes. And so it's, it's definitely um, a lot of research, a lot of talking to people that have done
1: it for years and years and years. And Brittany, while well, you're first generation, you have a second generation you're passing your ag lifestyle down to, right? Yes, we have three
11: children. This lifestyle is So rewarding to raise children in, and I, I would not want to raise my children any other way. And I'm so glad that this has become our lifestyle because they know how to work hard,
1: they know the value of a dollar, they know what it takes to have to save up. Brittany, you were nominated by your friend Ashby Adams, who says even though you came from the city, you embraced the farm life, and now she goes to you for tips. Can you tell us more on that? they're very versed in farm. So they're starting their
11: cattle venture. And so she, she'll ask me questions because she knows we've probably tried more than one. And there's a lot of newer things out there um, as far as vaccines and how you do this, what's the right way? there's something faster, more efficient? So she'll, she'll toss me a question and I'll give her, like, this works, this works, or you can do it this way, but we like to do it this way. It's fun to hear how other people do things because there's not a right answer to do a lot of things. It's just good to have all the the book of knowledge so you can be prepared
1: before the time comes when you actually need it. That's pretty cool of you both. And isn't that what ag is anyway, helping one another out? Thanks for joining us, Brittany. We'll continue our Women in Ag series, brought to you by NCTA and Tyson next week. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman.
4: Play Patton on the World Radio Network. Let's check in on the closing grain trade, and to do so, we talk with John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. John, does twenty-four well, less than twenty-four hours now until we get into the Wazd report, and really the trade seems to be fairly bullish. Are we expecting uh, surprises that could leg us higher tomorrow?
12: Yeah, I, I mean, limited surprise. I think you know, it's, I, I don't. I don't know how far the U.S. state is going to take old crop corn stocks down. Um, you know, they, they could leave everything in and just punt until the next crop report when they can kind of project more uh, more supply in the new crop. Uh, that might be their MLO here, but if they would bring it down, I mean, that, that's all bullish. I don't think that's why we moved today, though. I mean, there's some optimism for the report, but I think more behind Brazil weather and just the lack of, of um, you know, supply rationing here. China coming in this morning. Uh, potentially sniffing around at some hardwood wheat, and I think that's bullish. Anything that's bullish wheat is going to be bullish corn, especially on the old crop, because they're feeding wheat right now in the southwest, and if wheat gets more expensive, you know, corn isn't there to switch back to. So, it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how the next month will, uh, you know, trades uh, with, you know, some higher risks now in the wheat crop. That'll, that'll be interesting once we get beyond the WASDE.
4: And we look over at the U.S. dollar index moving lower in its current trading range here today. Did that tie into yesterday's FOMC meeting from the Fed, and does that look to be positive back for the trade?
12: I don't know if anything's really changed. I mean, I think we're, we're still in the scenario that they're going to try to get unemployment low until unemployment is low. They're going to stay on the gas, regardless of the inflation data. Uh, so we'll get Chinese PPI and CPI numbers tonight, and then the U.S. I think is in the back end of this week, early next week. Uh, and I think it's, it's almost like you want to see the engine revving hot, you back off the pedal, and that's really what the the trade is trying to figure out what to do. I don't think it matters too much for grains right now. I think corn and soybeans, wheat to a certain extent, like Chicago wheat, are much more tied up into fundamental problems with supply and demand. Um, whereas you know markets like gasoline and, and and crude oil maybe to a certain extent are more tied into you know the amount of money that's in the market pushing those goods um, the, the bottom line really is that we have to have supply uh, feed markets are starting to rally you look at, at feeder markets as well on the cattle side uh, that, that that is perplexing to see corn rally the feeder market rally and yet fat cattle just kind of stay where it is so not sure what to make of all of that uh, you know the bottom line is we're approaching levels especially in the deferred contracts looking at 2020 March 2023 uh, which is next March contract. Trading at 465 and this March trading at $5 now. So there is new crop uh, $5 sales available on the board if you want it.
4: And is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zang Marketing in Chicago. Learn more at danielzangmarketing.com. Again, that's danielzangmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading future options involve
3: risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors.